I love that new music. Thank you, Max. You did great. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Out of a catalog of all hits, this is an especial hit. I'm, I'm sure of it. It means a lot. And I'm definitely not saying this before I've heard it in an attempt to get you to finish it. I, It sounds so good. We just listened to it. If, it was awesome. If you were, that would be a good strategy for me to get work done. Just saying. If that was the case. Which is not. And here's something else. We got jazz intro music mm-hmm. and we got the Mahler 3 intro music. This opens the possibility for just having other shows about jazz, you know, wow. and using that music as the as the intro music. Spinoff. Because, yeah, um, like, instead of CSI something, G- GBS, um, whatever. <laughs> we'll put our heads together and come up with something. Okay. I'm sure of it. <laughs> so today we're um, taking a little break from our normal fare of Western concert music and talking about um, um, Thad Jones and the Village Vanguard. And all, all that's wrapped up with Thad Jones, meaning the Thad Jones and Mel Lewis Orchestra, the Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra, the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, and then the actual club, the Village Vanguard. Um, I One of Gustav Baller's show's greatest benefactors is teaching in New York City this semester. And she took her students to um, the Village Vanguard to see the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra um, on the first Monday night that they were back since COVID, which is awesome. Um, but some of her students weren't totally hip to the group or jazz, blah, blah, blah. So she asked me to zoom in and do a little talk about um, Thad Jones and the Vanguard Band. And actually, Nick, this was something you had suggested a long time ago also. Um, the, like, hungover Saturday morning pod. Cup of, cup of Jones. The Thad Joe Show. Oh, the Thad Joe Show. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where we have, co- we have coffee and recoup from our um, Friday night Gustav Baller recording session. And... Which will be very fun. However, right now, it's Friday night, so we're drinking. Right now, I so personally, I'm drinking uh, what I've been describing as a daiquiri. But when I was attempting to make the daiquiri, I realized I didn't really know what a daiquiri was. So I basically made a pineapple smoothie and then put a really like a lot of rum in it. <laughs> and I, I, I guess this is just going to have to do because this is just my regular I like, smoothie, I guess. I love how you're drinking it out of like, you didn't even put it in a glass. Okay, that's it's just in the mixing, the food processor bowl. Yeah, because the the this like it, the little blade comes on goes on the top, and then you flip it upside down to put it on the base, and then it's and then it's in here. Hmm. So it, yeah, it just it's uh you know there you go. That's all it. right. I'm I'm drinking um what's called a little Italy, a really nice amaro cocktail. Hmm. Two ounces rye, half ounce ch- uh, chinar, and artichoke liqueur. Wow, that and lovely. Um, three quarter ounces sweet vermouth. Um, starting the evening off that way because um, jazz is classy, Nick, and I want to drink a, a proper cocktail before I start slamming peepers. All right, I mean the kind of jazz that I listen to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as classy. 
But <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe, that, got, maybe I, that's true. But I, I mean, whatever. Yeah, that drink sounds okay, delicious. Let's talk about. Um, I I just also want to share real quick the snack I'm having. Oh shit! Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. What do you? I'll, I'll go first. I got a cookbook recently, Nick, called "The Magic of Tinned Fish," and it's all about using tinned fish. Um, obviously, sardines, anchovies, mackerel, trout, oysters. It's the best cookbook I've ever bought. And so this is a little appetizer from that, and it's um, a little Spanish. It's just a, on a on a toothpick, and we got a Spanish little pepper. It's kind of like a pepperoncini, but it doesn't quite fuck you in the face with the acid the way that pepperoncinis do. Mm. And then got a little olive, and then an anchovy oh. filet. Oh, my God. So choice. Oh man, you, you you love tinned fish. You you you're the you're I the king of tinned fish. If if you were uh if you were like a superhero, one of your like one of your abilities would be like to just like just like blast out tinned fish at any any of your oh, opponents. That would be cool. Yeah. I well, and you know, actually, you know what? In this scenario, I'm the villain, and Aquaman <laughs> is my nemesis. Oh, because he's trying to protect okay. the fish, and I'm trying to put him in tins. Oh, okay. So yeah, there you go. We have a whole storyline here. That's good. Because a lot of people don't like tinned fish. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? I... <clears throat> My counter to that is that, you know, sardines and anchovies get a bad rap in the press and in cartoons and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's pretty rare that we actually have them. But they sneak... They sneak in in ways like in Caesar dressing. There's anchovies in there, but no one knows that. No one. Well, I didn't know that, anyways. Mm. But it's just so good. They're so good. Tinned so, fish are the best. Yeah, they're so good. Um, I'm eating a taco with black beans, uh, pickled radishes, um, onions, and chipotle peppers. Mm-hmm. It's damn Sounds good. good. Damn good. Did you make it yourself? I sure did. Did you pickle that stuff yourself? Yeah. And by pickle, yeah. I mean I just, I just put it in like a glass jar of some, like vinegar and some other stuff for like a day. Is that what pickling is? I don't really know what pickling is. Does that count? Yeah, I think technically. All right. Um, okay, let's get started. Let's do it. First, I'm gonna go get a cocktail. I'm going to go get my cocktail that I was lying about having. <laughs> um, one more thing I want to say quickly about sure. this cocktail before we go on. Um, have you ever had like real maraschino cherries? Like Luxardo brand? Not just like the kind you get at Price Chopper or whatever. You mean the kind they put in your ice cream sundae at like a? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I have. I don't think I've had a real, a, like a real proper one. You know, I am pretentious and pretty snooty about a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but probably the worst thing about me mm-hmm. is how much I love the the real maraschino cherries. Oh man, I love I love the fake ones. I mean, I, I, I kind of do, too. They're, they <laughs> I, I, taste so much like... I mean, we used to keep that shit in the fridge at home, yeah. and we'd put it on ice cream at night. That shit was awesome. I mean, I gotta try, right. I have to try a real one now. The real ones are great. They're pretty expensive, but you fucking know where your money went. 
Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so the Village Vanguard. Nick, you ever been there? Been there. Yeah. Yeah. With me. With you. That's right. <laughs> A bunch of times. Oh. Uh, okay. <clears throat> I think one of the first times we were there, we walked. Like we were, we walked in, we we sat down at like a table pretty close to the stage, and like the piano player was like kind of like noodling around. And at the time, we were playing a tune at the crane, in the Crane Jazz Ensemble called "Walking About," and mm. the the piano player was like kind of noodling around on something close to that melody. And I was like, and I think you were like, oh, I th- is it, are they going to play "Walking About"? And sure enough, that was the first tune they played. Yeah, that's actually. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. Yeah, that was awesome. I, yeah, because that was such an awesome tune and. Oh my god! That's it. Okay, so, yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry, but it's hard. It's hard not to with this music. <laughs> this music is so fucking good. It's so good. Okay, so the Village Vanguard is the oldest operating jazz club in America, which likely means it's the oldest operating jazz club in the world. I think. Um, it was opened in 1935 by a dude named Max Gordon, and originally I didn't know this, Nick, but it was um, like a folk music club, like folk music and beat poetry. Um, and there were jazz jam sessions like on the Sunday afternoons throughout the thirties and the forties. But, um, it wasn't until 1957 that jazz became the main draw there. Um, and for any listeners that might not be familiar, like the, every, um, like household jazz name has played at the Vanguard, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Sonny Rollins, Brad Meldow, The Bad Plus, Thelonious Monk, Bill Evans, like all the fucking dude, all, all, everyone has played there. Um, yeah. And I don't know if, if you feel this way, Nick, but when I was talking to, um, my friends, Natasha's students, like I am not a religious person, but I get the feeling when I walk into the Vanguard that I imagine religious people have when they walk into like a really famous shrine or church or something like mm-hmm. that, where it's like a holy space. Like you're like whenever when you walk down those stairs, you're like, damn, Coltrane fucking walk down these stairs. And then you fucking <laughs> sit in like at, in the, the the club is the size of a living room and you're six feet away from the band and you're like, Jesus Christ, Coltrane was right over there on that same stage and like. All the the pictures of everyone is still are still on the are they put pictures of everyone who's played there on the wall. Yeah. There's a hole in the ceiling that Mingus made when he felt like he got underpaid for something and they never repaired it. Um it's just like a I really feel like it's a holy space. And I felt I felt that way the first time I walked in there. I don't know if if you have any sort of feeling like that. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I've definitely thought about like, oh wow, like these little like little steps that you walk down like thinking about it, like how many different jazz legends have walked those same steps it's crazy and also the space itself just kind of inspires it's just it, there's something about like a small dark like dank little <laughs> basement club that's been yeah. around for so many years there's something like just really like inspiring about it when you're there like you just feel like you want to be like a part of the music you are a part of the music because the space is so small the audience is like just literally right there with the players you can't help but feel like you're almost like on the bandstand with them while they're playing and that's yeah. just so like engaging like even if the even if what you're seeing there is like 
not something that you are, know about or are interested in, you can't help but appreciate the amount of like energy that's on the stage and that like you're a part of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of the best spots on earth. For sure. Okay. So the next thing I talked about with Natasha students was just like, um, you, we met in high school and you know, I wasn't a fan of jazz in high school. Like yeah. I remember staying at our friend Dave's house and he had a poster, uh, some jazz poster on the wall. And I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, Max, let it go. He's, he's your buddy. It, it's okay that he likes jazz. <laughs> and the photo he had on the wall was like that, mo- the most famous jazz photo of all time, like of all the jazz musicians in Harlem. Mm-hmm. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That was on Dave's wall. And I was like, oh, but it's okay. He's your friend. But in my defense, I think it was because, like, A, well, maybe I, I might not have been playing in, like, high school jazz ensemble um, by that point. But the big thing is that um, I'm white, and I have white grandparents, and white grandparents listen to shit like Glenn Miller, and um, that shit does is not very cool. Yeah, well... I mean, it's, yeah, it's just a different thing. It's not, it's nothing like what, like, Thad Jones and Mel Lewis was doing. Like, you know, it's like, it's not like the the kind of big band Thad Jones and Mel Lewis was playing. It's more art music, whereas Glenn Miller is more like just kind of serving like a little, like, it's like a dance thing. You know, it's serving as like a, it's more of a commodity than what Thad was doing. Yes. Yeah. I would say that's exactly right. And... So, A, I just thought that the music... I, I I thought that's all that jazz music was. I was like, damn, jazz music is lame as shit. Um, and then the other way we normally get um, exposed to jazz as, as students in, like, the American music education system is through, like, um, sort of, like, um, Ken Burns' style. Like... They like jazz as a cultural artifact that's in a museum mm-hmm. and it's like a cold, dead thing. And it's all the slow pans of, of photos of Bill Evans. And it's like, Bill Evans moved to New York City in 1967. You know, and it's like, no, in fact, jazz music from its beginning has been like socially aware, politically active. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a living, breathing thing and it still lives and breathes to this day. It's not a dead museum artifact like concert music is. And yeah, those were my two sort of like ideas of jazz before I actually started listening to jazz music. Yeah. Um after I met after I met you and Dave. So at the Vanguard, what do you think is is there anything like uh, else about like the history like you mentioned um, it started out more of as like a folk place and like a poetry place. When did the transition mm-hmm. into like jazz happen? Was it post like 1950s beat poet era? Um, it was 1957 when they started. Um, I, I don't know why exactly, um, but w- why they started having mostly jazz shows, but it was 1957. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. One interesting thing. So it was opened by that dude, Max Gordon. And when he died, his wife took it over. And I don't remember if she's still alive or not. But um, either way, their daughter now runs it. 
So it's like the Village Vanguard's like a mom and pop jazz club that's like being passed down generation. Wow. I, I, I didn't know that. That's awesome. That shit. It's kind of cool. Um, okay. So then anyways, um, so that's one part of the show today. The Vanguard as a club and an institution. Um, but the other part of the show is Thad Jones. Thad Jones, Thad, baby. Thad Jones, baby. Okay, I'm going to tell us a little bit about Thad Jones. I'm going to talk to you about Thad Jones. All right, he's my man, Thaddeus, born in 1923. Um, he was a prodigy cornet player. He was really, really advanced harmonically. He was playing with the Count Basie Orchestra for nine years between 1954 and 1963. And um, he did not really write a lot of music while he was in the Count Basie Orchestra, or at least he didn't write for the Count Basie Orchestra. Um, he did write some charts, but his harmonic language was a little bit more advanced, and so Count Basie encouraged mm-hmm. him to write. But um, he didn't start writing all of his like really, really famous charts that he's known for until he started playing with Mel Lewis um, in see. the 60s. But also, he, when he was in the Basie band, he was mostly just doing arranging. Yeah, he didn't necessarily write like originals, but he does have an original, um, and I would highly recommend our listeners check out this song. It's called Mutt and Jeff. And it's really, really cool. It's very, you know, Count Basie style, but it's very unusual because the main melody is played on bass and flute. Oh, cool. So I highly recommend people listen <laughs> listen to a little bit of that, like listen to like the first minute or so of that, and then go listen to the first minute or so of three and one. And you can hear the similarities because something Thad Jones mm-hmm. is really interested about is like unusual instrumentations within the ensemble. So in three and one, he has the um, Barry sax, trumpet, and bass. I think play the main melody in three and one. Yeah, that's true. Really it's weird. a lot like his tune "Mutt and Jeff" that he wrote toward the end of his time with Count Basie's band. Um, but anyway, so in, he left Count Basie's orchestra in 1963, and then a few years later started the big band that he became really famous for with Mel Lewis. <clears throat> Mel Lewis was a drummer in New York City at the time. And um, they started the band like with just the best session players around, like Pepper Adams played Barry Sax, uh, Richard Davis was the bass player, Bob Brookmeyer was in the trombone section, um, Roland Hanna was the pianist. And Dude, Richard Davis and Roland Hanna are like my favorite bass and piano combination un- of all music. It, un- uh, they're unreal. <laughs> it's unreal. It's so fucking good. Yeah. So. Um, and so what was, what was different about count, uh, sorry, what was different about Thad Jones's group and his arranging and writing is that he gave his, he gave the players a lot more space. The Thad Jones orchestra or the jazz orchestra, it's like, it's almost like the, the best stuff about combo playing. And then the best stuff about like, just like regular straight ahead, big band, like together, because he would have sections where they'd be, there'd be like two people playing for like minutes at a time. And everybody else in the band is just kind of like hanging out on stage and like listening to it and checking it out as if they're at a combo concert, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that. And then they, and then they start to play when their section comes in. It's just like, it has it's massive dynamic range where I think it's a couple of like live takes of second race start with just like trumpet and bass or something for like yeah. for like a long time before anything else happens and it's uh, highly unusual like that ne- yeah. that would never have happened in like Count Basie's music um um just real real quick um for anyone who might not know the lingo what do you mean by combo playing versus big band playing so yeah that's, yeah good good clarification because 
combo playing is more like a smaller ensemble, maybe like one or two horns, piano, bass, and drums. So it might be like mm-hmm. a quintet or something like that. But but with Thad, when he does those like quieter, like open sections, he he reduces it down even more. He really plays around with the instrumentation, and sometimes the drums will lay out all together. Um, and what's the is the normal instrumentation of big band five trumpet, four trombone, five sax? Yeah, I think yeah. Like, or is it four trumpet? I think four four trumpets is is pretty common. Sometimes five because a lot of times like um, people will kind of switch off lead. Um, mm. but yeah, so four, but four, usually there's four trumpet parts, four trombones, um, usually three trombone, like tenor trombones and then bass trombone. Um, and then out al- two alto, two tenor Barry. Um, okay. And then, oh, oh yeah. And then, um, another cool thing about the Thad Jones, Mel Lewis band, a lot of the guys in that band started composing. And one of like the other really prominent composers to come out of that is Bob Brookmeyer. And I think on one of the first live albums that the Vanguard put out um, was Bob Brookmeyer's arrangement of Willow Weep for Me. Uh-huh. And it's re- it's so cool. Like his music is really like challenging harmonically. So it's like he took what Thad was doing and then took it to a whole other degree. So, so one of the points I made to Natasha's students was that we have the Basie band, like one of the preeminent, like, cultural treasures in American music history. Like Basie's like um obviously I love Fad Jones and I like the Fad Jones bands way more than I'll ever like Basie, but there's no denying that Basie's like a top-notch musical uh, like art artifact, right? Yeah. Like his shit rocks. It's so good. And so we have we have Fad Jones in the Count Basie Orchestra. Thad Jones leaves and starts his own band. And then, like you just said, Bob Brookmeyer's in that band. Um, at, uh, it, I think it was um, 1979, Thad Jones abruptly left New York City and moved to Copenhagen. Um, so the Thad Jones and Mel Lewis Orchestra became the Mel Lewis Orchestra. And Bob Brookmeyer, like you just said, became the composer in residence. And then after Bob Brookmeyer left... Um, Jim McNeely, the pianist in the band, took over as the composer in residence. So you kind of like when you go see the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra as it exists today, you're seeing like a living tradition that dates all the way back to Basie. And yeah. even and it's just like it's like a window into it's like getting into a time machine or something. Not 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 really, but like you you know that like jazz, jazz is an oral and aural tradition and you know that these motherfuckers have had aural handshakes all the way back to Basie and that like what you're hearing is is like the purest like most unadulterated link back to like this old American treasure in in Count Basie yeah it's it's it's, maybe maybe that's wrong no that's a hundred percent I agree. It's really, it's, you can like really clearly see like that lineage. Um, yeah. And then, um, so, well, okay. Real, real quick before we be, before we go any further. Um, so Thad Jones left the Basie orchestra in 1963, like you said, teamed up with Mel Lewis in 1965 to form the Thad Jones Mel Lewis orchestra. Mm-hmm. They were, only supposed to play three Monday nights in February of 1965. Um, 
But then those three nights were so popular that um, Max Gordon decided to keep them on for another month or so. And then at the end of that month, Mel Lewis was like, hey, hey, Max, like, how long are we going to keep doing this? And um, Max was like, well, we'll just keep going until like, it, peter- <laughs> it peters out, I think is what he said. But like they 2,700 Mondays later, they're still going. They still play every Monday night in, in the city. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I've never lived in New York City, but I think if I did, I would make it a part of my monthly budget to be at the Vanguard every Monday. Yeah. It's like, to me, it would be worth it to not eat a couple meals a week (laughs) to fucking see this band every week. Well, I mean, I think it's also like, I don't think it's like all that expensive to go see one show. I think it's still pretty reasonably priced compared to like other clubs that you, you know, pay like top dollar for like Birdland or Blue Note or something. Yeah. Super expensive. I think the Village Vanguard is still relatively like affordable for, yeah, considering, but, um, that's amazing that they just kept playing. <laughs> I mean, they, they, these guys aren't, weren't getting paid a lot. Like, we should also, like, clarify that. Because these are the best session players in New York City in 1965 when they started. And they're all coming on Monday night just because they loved the music and they loved the tradition that, like, Thad Jones is a part of and Count Basie. And they carried that on. And they weren't getting paid. They were just going to do it, like, because of, the, like, the love of the art, the art itself. Yeah. It's... To, to say that the band is made up of the best session players in New York City is essentially saying that it's made up of the best players in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like, if I, well, okay, I live in the Twin Cities. The jazz scene here is pretty awesome. It's the birthplace of the Bad Plus. Mm-hmm. But, like, if someone said, formed a big band with, like, the best, um, session players of the mid of the of the twin cities or the midwest like it wouldn't necessarily be the best big band in the world but in new york that's almost guaranteed to be the case that it's the best big band in the world i and i also wonder if that's like a reason why thad was like oh wait a minute i can write this shit right because he had all these complex ideas and now he's like hang on now i'm playing with with like fucking like bob brookmeyer and Pepper Adams on baritone sax. Like I'm going to fucking feature them. I'm going to give, I'm going to give these guys some wicked lines to play. And so he wrote these intricate parts and the band like was executing it really like at a high level. So yeah. I, and I think like, not, I, I, I think like colleges in the U S like not long after that picked up on that. And like college bands were playing Thad Jones, like in the seventies and the eighties you know oh interesting like they i I, i'm pretty sure i remember reading that some in some like in some history book about just like just because it you know it might take a while for like colleges to like program stuff like that's really new let's just say like in the 70s or something but i think i think like it kind of like just became very like it just became really fun for players to like be like oh let's play play some fad because it's like the highest level of big band that we can play yeah i I was reading something that said he revitalized a dead tradition the dead tradition being big band Mm -hmm. right because like in the 30s and 40s when jazz was at its most popular that it's ever been and ever will be like big bands were playing pop tunes there was little to no improvisation right um and it's 
he's pretty much inheriting a tradition that's on its way out. And he totally revitalizes it. And he doesn't only write swing music, he also writes like rock tunes and like some funk stuff. And admittedly, like I, I don't like listening to that stuff as much as I like the swinging stuff. But there's no denying that it's like a really um, like it's an attempt to make big band music relevant in the age of rock and roll or something. And it, it the writing is still so good. It, it just sounds a little dated today, but like listening to it at the time must have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> but it's hard to listen like without knowing like everything that's come 70 years after or something. Yeah. And, and now there's like, and there's like a, now there's so many different kinds of fusion things out there with, but. I mean, now I can go on Instagram and w- follow a big band that only plays S- Super Nintendo music. And it's like, okay, f- yeah, fuck, it, it, fine. <laughs> you know, the 8-bit big band. Yeah. They're pretty awesome. Yeah. But I feel like that wouldn't really be possible if it weren't for Fat Jones and the Mel Lewis band. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> oh, man. 8-bit big band. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's nothing new anymore. Nothing new. No. Mm. Um, so, do you have any favorite albums that were recorded at the Village Vanguard? Well, that's a great segue into the next section. I'm gonna, um... Mm. Fucking maraschino cherries are so good. Oh my god, I gotta get I gotta get some of those real, those real cherries that you um, speak of. Well... Before we get into, um, before we go back to like the club as an institution, mm-hmm. how about I'm gonna go? I'm gonna go get a drink, and in the drink time, let's think up the our favorite Thad Jones, Mel Lewis charts, and we'll make a playlist and and um, put it on Spotify. Okay. With, Sweet. With with with, with this episode, and, and we'll just talk a little bit about them why we like them so much. Sweet. Um, I because um, I fucking love that. One of the things I was trying to leave Natasha's class with is that Thad Jones. He's not a household name, right? He's not like everyone knows Duke Ellington. Everyone knows Count Basie, but Thad Jones is like one of the best American composers. Jazz, classical music rock and roll, fucking whatever. Thad Jones is one of America's greatest geniuses. And I, like, it's it's hard to, to I, like, I just want, like, to take your head specifically, Nick, and smash it up against a wall that says Thad Jones on it, you know? <laughs> and <sighs> he's the best there is and ever was. And, like, all the... Whenever when I was trying to write big band charts in college, like he mm. was obviously my main inspiration for all of them. Yeah, like Thad Jones is one of the best Americans that there ever was, and I just if if our listeners could take one thing away from this segment, it would be that to search far and wide and try to find as many Thad Jones recordings as you can because it's. He's a desert island composer for me. Oh. Like, if someone was like, okay, Max, um, you're being um, 
exiled and you get to choose to either listen to Beethoven or Thad Jones forever, I'll be like, what are you talking about? I, give me the Thad Jones. Yeah, obviously. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I don't give a shit. Thad Jones, baby. I, yeah. I, I don't want to hear any Beethoven if I was in exile. I, why? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a topic for another day. Yeah. But um, Thad Jones would be the one I take. Yeah, Desert Island level for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's uh, re-up our drinks real quick, then give a real quick... Like, let's say top three, because we're probably going to have a lot of the same ones. <laughs> I, it, I um, have like top 10, so don't, it will, we'll come Yeah, up. okay. Let's do top three <laughs> okay. Thad Jones charts. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll be right back. Okay, cool. Remember the tune Ding Dong Ding? <laughs> uh-uh. What? You don't remember that? It's I think it's a Bob Brookmeyer, actually. Oh. Oh shit. It's so good. You know it. Oh yeah. It's so good. Isn't there a really ugly note coming up? Yeah. Here it comes. Oh yeah. I totally ripped that off in I, I ripped that off almost in every composition, actually. Yeah. Wow. I, that's definitely where it came from every time I do that. Dude, that that song is so good. I mean that's by Brookmeyer. That's a whole other thing, kind of, but it's so it's so fucking good. So good. Okay, so okay. Our, our 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 charts um oh hang on a second. Let me open my new red stripe. Are these charts Thad charts or anybody involved in the band? Um, I don't know. I'm going to go with all Thad. I'm going to go straight up Thad Jones. Okay. All right, cool. All right, well, I'm going first because I know I've been boned. every. I, I usually try to be polite and let you or the guest go first and ch- whenever we do this sort of snake draft side, sort of thing. But I always get boned. Um. We have the same and I'm not taste. even going order three, two, one to the best now. I'm just starting off with the fucking top. Obviously, Groove Merchant. Because I know you're going to choose it. And Groove Merchant, for me, is the quintessential big band chart. Okay. If, um, you know how they put, like, the, the fucking, like, satellite that they sent out of the solar system and they, plan- they put Glenn Gould playing Bach on it and all that, all that shit? Yeah. Um, or... Well, it's like the platonic ideal of the big band chart is Groove Merchant by Thad Jones. It's got all the great stuff. It's swinging as fuck. It's got a singable melody. It's got um, a really amazing sax soli. And a sax soli is a, 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 um, 
uh, solely like from the the Italian plur- plural for solos, where all the instruments of one um, section play together. And it sounds like a like oh, Jesus. If the melody was played alone, it would sound like an awesome solo over the changes of the chart. But the composer has written it such that all the people play together at the same time. So Groove Merchant has an amazing one of those. It's got some great solos, great changes. And then the shout chorus comes at the end of the big of the usual big band chart, and it's where the whole band plays together, makes you want to shout. And like the one in Groove Merchant is so fucking sick. <laughs> like, this is potentially the best big band chart ever written. I, I'll die I, on that hill. Yeah. I agree. I a hundred percent. That was definitely gonna All be right. number my number one too. I knew it was gonna be. So I'm glad you I'm <laughs> glad you went first. We have the same taste, so yeah. All right. So, do you want to hear mine? Yeah. My my number one. For me, Kids Are Pretty People. Ooh. Is like easily one of my favorite Thad charts because it, I mean, there's so much going on there, but it's got like, it has a really, really cool melody where the two tenors are in unison. And that right there is very cool. It kind of reminds me of Charles Mingus a little bit. Um, yeah, it does sound like Mingus. Let's take a quick listen to the opening. Okay. I mean, it's just such a beautiful melody. Okay. And then, oh my God, when the fucking, when the trombone solo goes into double time, it's, it feels so good. And the sax soli, or sorry, the sax, the saxophone backgrounds over the trombone solo are just, they swing so hard. And I remember, um, I remember the first time we, we played this at the Crane, in the Crane Jazz Ensemble. And it was just, it felt so good. Like it's such a good yeah. Oh man. And then and then the shout section is amazing. And then there's like this like like three or four bars of just like the whole band blows together. Like just like free, oh, yeah. free improv. Like it's so it gets so ruckusy. So I I like that chart just because of the huge dynamic palette. That reminds me a lot mm. of Count Basie where things could be really soft for a while but then like just explode. Um Oh, like the All of Me live in Japan. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, that's great. Oh um, shit. You know, um, yeah, so you just mentioned the Crane Jazz Ensemble, which we played in together, mm-hmm. and, <clears throat> like, as much as um, Brett and I fell out, yeah. I will always appreciate, like, the music he made us play, because every time you and I went to see the Vanguard Band, we knew, like, <laughs> nine out of ten tunes because we had played them already. Yeah. Like we were playing the best stuff and like, yeah. Um, we played that, that, that too, that chart kids are pretty people. Like we definitely played that. We did. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, you mentioned also like the three bar group improvisation. That's like another thing I stole all the time. Yeah. But, but like, how are you supposed to, how are you not supposed to steal that? You gotta, you you gotta steal that. It's, it's so cool. Oh man, I just want to be. All right, a, great I, choice. I just want to be in a big band now. I know, same. 
All right, what's your what's your next one? Okay, number two, I'm gonna go. Um, oh yeah, I'm going a tune called uh, "That's Freedom." Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, "That's Freedom" is um, oh. it's a twelve bar blues, but interestingly, so the way jazz form normally works is that. There's a melody that's played over a certain set of chord changes, and then everyone solos over those chord changes. The saxophone soli and the shout chorus will all happen over those chord changes, right? It's like a like a passacaglia or a ground bass or something. Where like in in jazz, normally in like the standard rep, the harmonic structure of a tune never changes, right? Um, and so this twelve bar blues. Oh wait. Oh shit. Oh my god. I said uh, that's freedom, but I started talking about second race. Oh. Uh, okay, so I guess I'll I'll continue talking about second race. <laughs> it's alright, we don't edit. Um so second race, yeah, is this twelve bar blues. And what's interesting about it is that it doesn't have that initial melody section. Right. It's just like solos and band writing and shout chorus, but there's no like tune that starts the song and ends the song. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like an anti-tune because like all of the components that make up what would be a, normally a blues are there. Like it starts out with the improvisation. It starts out with the solos. It follows the form. There's great hits. There's like little like, like riffs that the, the band plays as it's getting close to like the shout section. There's like little bluesy figures that are played, but yeah, you can't really sing it, right? Yeah. It's not it's, it's not a melody like like the first tune you mentioned, Groove Merchant gets caught in your head like that. This is not this yeah. is like the opposite of that. It's like intended to be just kind of like an abstract like blues like soundscape or something. Yeah. But really such good writing. Oh my god. Like, it's so good. Okay, so I chose Groove Merchant, you chose Kids Are Pretty People. Mm-hmm. I chose Oh That's Freedom but realized I meant second race uh your number your number two okay now um let's see i'm gonna go with three and one the tune that i mentioned before that i kind of compared to um uh thad's earlier tune called mutt and jeff um three and one is really cool because the melody is played on uh i think i mentioned before i think it's trumpet barry sax and bass but then Mm -hmm. after the melody there's this ridiculously cool saxophone soli kind of like max was mm-hmm. describing in groove merchant it's the, the, it's such a cool soli um i think we also it's really one of the best it, it's so good i think we did one that one also and it's long i think the groove merchant soli is kind of long too but i always like i'm always like oh okay it's just gonna stop after 16 bars but it definitely goes on for like 32 bars or longer or something it's just like a really the, long it just goes on forever it seems the like. groove merchant sax soli is like four choruses <laughs> It's really yeah. fucking long. Also, um, one thing, like, I, I I said that Groove Merchant is the platonic ideal of the big band chart. In three and one, there's, like, the platonic ideal of the fall. Mm. And the fall is when the band plays a chord or note together, and then they all, like, let the tone drop. Like, not in any sort of unified way, but it's just like, they hit a note, bah, 
and then it goes down. And there are some recordings of three and one where it's so fucking long. And it's like, it's like, a, I, I always feel like it's a running joke to try to make the fall as long as possible. It's like a, it's like a jazz musician's handshake or something. Yeah. You just want to like go really over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so good. So good. Um, okay. For number three. Um, I, I know I said, oh, that's freedom before that tune's fucking awesome. Um, and I guess I'll go, everyone should listen to that tune anyways, but I'm going to say, um, tiptoe instead. Wow. And so tiptoe is, um, a tune written over what we would call, uh, rhythm changes in jazz. And a rhythm changes is just a tune um, written over. It's it's a melody written over the chord changes for "I Got Rhythm" by George Gershwin, and there's a million fucking rhythm changes, and um, they all follow the same harmonic pattern. Um, they're all in A A B A form, and Fad Jones' tiptoe is so funny because it's like. Um, the articulation in this in the saxophones the saxophones play the melody and the articulation is so absurd like the short notes are goddamn as short as possible and like everything is so exaggerated and it both sounds like tiptoeing but also sounds like behavior that would if you were actually trying to tiptoe would lead you to get discovered immediately like the slides are humongous like it's like holy shit like if if you were trying to avoid capture that would not be the way to do it but it does kind of also sound like tiptoeing the melody's like pop 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 yeah and it's like yeah, okay that's like I, I, it sounds it's like a old um like looney tunes like with when they have really long toes mm-hmm. and tiptoe that way yeah yeah that tu- that tune's fucking awesome oh man it's so good all right, you're number three. All right, well, I'm actually going to talk about Ah, That's Freedom, because that's a sick tune. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. Tune. Thank you. Um, I always like that tune. It's like, it starts with a really cool piano solo. Um, actually, a great version of this song is, oh, fuck. Another really uh, another really good one is Mean What You Say, but, okay, a really, uh, anyway, a really good <laughs> version of, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm so distracted, because there are so many good ones, I can't even choose, but... Ah, that's freedom. Uh, if you listen to the most recent recording of it by the Monday Night, the current Monday Night band, well, I'm sure maybe it's changed a bit, but the, I think this album came out in like 2007 or 2008, um, called Monday Night at the Village Vanguard, um, and and they do like an updated recording. It's Jim McNeely, I think, playing the piano solo. Oh yeah, and it's it's so good, um, and. <laughs> The trombone. Well, is that Monday Night or Thad Jones Legacy? Oh, maybe it's. Oh, it's Thad Jones Legacy. I think it's Thad Jones yeah. Legacy. Okay, but it's that that piano solo is so fucking good. It's so good. It's the it's the most like it's like I guess the um, more modern version of this band with Jim McNeely. So this is post mm. Bob Brookmeyer, but it's so it's so good. And there's a really great section where the trombone has this like massive like unison like riff toward the end after like it kind of like lines up with the shout chorus and it's just so dirty it's so good and 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 then so the melody of this tune the trombones just have this like 
and then the and the melody I think is played on flute and flugelhorn, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that, or flute and cornet. And, yeah, it's so good, and I'm, I think it might be a, like a 16 bar blues. It's, I think it's like kind of a blues, but it's in a mm. weird. It has like a weird form. It's not a standard 12 yeah. bar thing, but um, but it. That, I remember it's a great tune. Um, Brett wrote a tune that also had that same trombone. Sort of figuration. I think I remember. And he called that. it um, the Madland because the Madland is an anagram oh. of Thad and Mel. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember that tune. I remember yeah. that. Wow. All right. Um, There's so many other ones we haven't mentioned. So if you're a listener and you want to check out Thad Jones, just the whole fucking just, ca- the fall fucking whole catalog is so ridiculous. The whole good. fucking catalog is so good. But we'll we'll make a Spotify right. playlist of those t- the tunes we mentioned, for sure, because that's a good yeah. place to start. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that was um. Yeah, that was our bit about Thad Jones and the Vanguard band. We'll take a quick break. Um, we're gonna talk about a little a little bit more about the Vanguard as an institution and talk about our favorite live albums that were recorded there. And then we're all um, we're gonna do like a little drive time radio show and open up the airwaves to anyone who might be listening. Okay, so <laughs> we will be right back. Jaya from uh, Newton on the line. Jaya, how's it going? Hi, it's Jaya. great. Great to be here, Nick. Hi, Max. What what um what what do you what do you have for us? Uh, so in terms of jazz, um, I most of my experience with jazz is actually of the the Spotify background music variety, but I do have mm-hmm. one somewhat spicy take. Um, which is that come December tide, the only version of the Nutcracker that I enjoy is the Duke Ellington jazzy version. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like that take would, would is pretty well received here. I I can't speak for Nick, but fuck Tchaikovsky, and um, Duke Ellington is the man. <laughs> Obviously, his version is 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 better. It sounds like you and Tchaikovsky have a past. Um, I'm, you know, happy to listen to you work through it, or we can talk about something else. <laughs> you know, it's just like there was some critic in the 19th century that said I ab- about Tchaikovsky. Like I've never heard someone write such beautiful melodies and then bludgeon them to death with a hammer. <laughs> That's kind of what his music sounds like to me. Um, I will tell you. So I played I played string bass and orchestra when I was a wee lass, and when we played Tchaikovsky, I hated it because it would be like 128 bars and four four of resting, and then he would have you come in on the last measure for a whole note, and I'm like, at that point, I mean, come on. And it, and it was probably like a D or a G. It it was it was yeah really high skill, big contributions. String bass is cool though. I love the string bass. I'm happy to hear that you you played the string bass. That reminds me of of a joke. What what you just said, Nick? Actually, about the 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 kid who takes bass lessons, and um, 
He goes to his first bass lesson and comes home, and his dad says, what'd you learn? And he said, I learned the note E. And then um, the next week, he, he goes to his bass lesson, and his dad says, what'd you learn? And he says, I learned the note A. And then um, the third week, he goes to the lesson, and he comes home, and his dad said, how was your lesson? And he was like, Dad, uh, what are you talking about lesson? I had a gig. <laughs> It was Tchaikovsky. It's <laughs> it was not Tchaikovsky. wrong. It's not wrong, man. That, that was basically bass. I would say, you know, uh, my enthusiasm outstripped my talent. It's good to be enthusiastic, though, so you can't you can't lose that. Okay, cool. Anything a- anything else? Um, things are pretty good. Uh, I can't I can't wait to hear about what the people think about jazz. I feel like for something oh, cool. fairly innocuous, it's very divisive. No. It's pretty. It's pretty divisive. It almost cost me many friendships in my youth. Are you pro or con? I actually don't know where you land on it. Well, today I'm pro, but back in the day I was very con. Interesting. I've always been pro, personally. Pro. Interesting. Pro was, jazz. Was there a tipping point, Max, where you went from con to pro, or was there a transitional period where you felt indifferent? Um. No, there was definitely a tipping point, and it was when I met Nick, because um, we talked a little bit about this earlier, that I always thought jazz was like a museum artifact, and then I met this crazy motherfucker Nick, who like played in punk rock bands, but also played jazz music on the saxophone, and I was like, oh, wait a second, it's like, it, yeah, and then Nick taught me how to play jazz, like my first memories of learning how to play jazz are being taught by Nick, and um yeah. So I have, I have, so that, oh, sorry, that the saxophone thing reminded me of something, which is I have this theory of, of instruments and coolness, which is that I'm curious what you think, but what is the instrument that has the greatest increase in coolness from classical vis-a-vis jazz music? Like, I think saxophone uh-huh. is like a total argument there, you know? I, I would have to agree with that. I, that's why I, pl- I play the saxophone, because it, it's just like when I was a kid, I was like, that looks cool. And I, I'm not generally cool in other areas of life, so I should probably get that one so I can be a little cooler. You know what I mean? I was, oh, not, yeah. I was like a nerdy kid, so I just I wanted to be cool. So there, there you go. There, there was the saxophone. So. Okay, cool. Thanks so much. Um, hope your commute is going well. This is a drive time radio show, um, <laughs> and um, thanks for calling in. Love it, love it. Have a great day, and thanks for having me. Okay, thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jaya. <laughs> okay, now we're joined um, by Michael. Michael, um, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Hey, how y'all doing? We're doing great, thanks. Uh, wh- what do you got for us? Vanguard-related, jazz-related? Let's hear it. Uh, well... I think my favorite uh, Live of the Vanguard record, there's obviously a few that are incredible, but my personal favorite is the, the Coltrane one, Live of the Vanguard, the first one, um, 1961. Um, just because, I, I mean, you know, I love that one. I love the Bill Evans one. I love the, um, the Sonny Rollins one, obviously. Um, but uh, but the, the Coltrane one has a special, special place in my heart because I heard that when I was really young. I heard it when I was in high school. And... Uh, I just it just brings me right back to my friend who was a little bit older than me and a great musician and was listening and just knew all the good music and he just turned me on to turned me on to all this music at that time in my life so you know 
Just like hearing McCoy Tyner just dealing on soft knees in the morning sunrise <laughs> and just, uh, uh, you know, hearing train plane chasing the train and like literally just never hearing somebody going in that hard ever before in my life. That was just like the coolest thing I'd ever heard um, and just like the most outrageous playing I'd ever heard before in my life at that point. And honestly, still, I mean, it's completely outrageous what he does to the saxophone. Um, on that track, yeah. And what like the, and also just like the group sound, the band, like the like like the way that they that they that they just go in that hard. Like I heard, I heard that, and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> like that is <laughs> absolutely absolutely insane. Just like how 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 hard they go in on that on that record. So so yeah, that one that one really kind of kind of dug itself into my skin and kind of lived there, um, has lived there ever since. But um. But yeah, I mean, I love the I love the Bill Evans one, uh, of course, obviously, and uh, and the Sonny Rollins stuff too is like some of the best uh, small group playing ever. So, yeah, mm-hmm. lot, real lot real quick, um, mm-hmm. what like what's your background? Are you a saxophonist, and that's what drew you to that, or you're a composer or I'm pianist? A, well, I'm a pianist composer. Yeah, and at the time when I heard it, I was like discovering and learning jazz, and I was just like I was just like very 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 in the the world of just like being a a jazz musician and like being a jazz pianist and that's and so that's what I was trying to do and and you know that's what I do you know I'm a I'm a jazz pianist and I'm also but I've also done other stuff and I do other stuff as well so um but at the time especially that I heard that music that was like the world that I was living and breathing in so it just it just got just got into my just got into me there um yep mm-hmm. yeah it's it's cool you mentioned softly as in morning sunrise and cause that album is also really influential for me, but I also really love a few years before that Sonny Rollins recorded an album live at the Vanguard. Yeah. Also does softly as in a morning sunrise, right? <laughs> Only a few yeah. years before culture, but, but, but Sonny's version, it's brilliant for a whole other reason, but like to hear like two of the <laughs> two takes of the same song, just a few years apart in the same place, but just like a completely different energy and results, you know? That's Absolutely. really cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. It's funny, like the first the first version of Softly that I heard was the Coltrane version. And that to me kind of like was the like the kind of like ideal like the kind of platonic ideal in my head for so long just because like it was the first one I ever heard. And then yeah. I went back and heard all these other versions of it, like the like the Sonny Rollins and like the Sonny Clark version, right? Like where they play really slow. And, um, you know, I'm like, oh, wait, there are like all these other approaches to this tune, you know, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, the Coltrane one, like, like kind of like, um, kind of, kind of became like the, the, the standard for me in a way, just cause that's what I heard first. And so you met, and you mentioned the 1961 cause Coltrane did another live album in I think 1966 at the Vanguard. Right. Um, how, do you know, are you familiar with that one at all? Is there a reason you like one over the other? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with the other one, although I'm not as familiar with the other one but i think that um the reason why i like the one that i like is honestly just like nostalgia like when you when you hear something like like you have like these vital moments in your life where you hear music right and like different happens to different people at different times or whatever but that period for me between the ages of like 14 and 17 or whatever Mm -hmm. everything that i heard in that era of my life is just like deeply embedded in my psyche and there's no way to get rid of it even if i wanted to so you yeah know, th- that's what i heard right <laughs> then and it just it just lives you know <laughs> you, that's awesome. you know what like like what are those albums for you guys 
or like that like what's like some of that music for for you all like 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 that stuff that like lives like inside like that max you want to go um why don't you go (laughs) okay well i was gonna say um one album is also a vanguard album for me um is state of the tenor joe henderson and because I heard that when I was oh. probably in, I don't know, probably like late high school, maybe junior or senior year. And I was like, oh, like you can have a jazz combo without a piano player. It can just be sax, bass and drums. And it opens you up harmonically in so many different ways and rhythmically in a way. But like it just is a cool way to feature those three instruments. And there's a ton of harmonic space and you can just get really creative. Um, so that album is a really that was impactful for me and also a, a live at the Vanguard album. Yo, you know another great Live of the Vanguard album that I feel like is a little bit unsung that is now remind I'm being reminded of because it was like same like embedded kind of vibe is um it's a Paul Motion Paul Motion Joe Lovano Bill Frizzell live Ooh. at the Vanguard. Wow. Album. Do you guys know this one? It's like it's so, I don't know that one. I don't, it's I don't so know fucking it. good. Oh my god. Wow. It's so fucking good. Um they do. They Paul do Motion is is one yeah. of the best there is ever. Yeah, they do Mysterioso that monk tune, mm. and it's like super slow and just like it's really yeah. intense. Yeah, it's so good. They do Duke Ellington Sound of Love, that that Mingus tune. Oh wow! Yeah, like Roboto, like completely out of time. <laughs> oh my god, it's like so good. There's no bass. There's no bass on the album. Uh, yeah. So it's just Bill Frizzell like taking up all that space, and Paul Motion just like being spacey, and Lovano just floating over everything. It's, it's a brilliant album. Yeah. Wow. I, ha- I don't. I don't know. I have to check that out now. That's that's great. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Well, anyways, thanks right, for well, cool. uh, letting me call in, y'all. First time. Yeah, first thanks. time caller, long thanks, time Michael. listener. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Cool. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, you go you, for it. Do you feel like when we have people on the show, they're clapping not with us when we do the clap thing? Yeah, when I have you on the show, I feel like you're not clapping with us. I feel like I'm clapping right with you. Yeah, it's, there, there's just a whole latency involved with Zoom and mm. the internet. Every, everything we do is in, is necessarily out of time. Right, 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 right. That's why I can't wait to do a live show with you. Right. Um, now, were you, were, you, were you just like offhandedly talking shit about our guests or like, what's the situation there? Cause I really appreciate when people come on the show. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it too, but I just, uh, <laughs> oh, you think they don't know how to clap? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow. Wow. Okay. Shots fired. Yeah, that's right. I just want to make sure I have apologies for the next time. <laughs> I just want to. Uh, oh, oh that's have, right. We didn't do any apologies. I have. A okay. Lot, I have. I just want to make sure I'm sorry for something. Well, I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. You <laughs> have plenty to be sorry for.
Okay, Real, let's, um, Nick, so now let's talk about the Vanguard as an institution. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about how everyone in the history of jazz has played there and recorded albums there. And let's talk a little bit about our, um, our uh, let's give our top five favorite albums that have been recorded there. Okay. Shit. You want me to go first? No, I'll go first. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, okay, I have a few different kinds of um, ways I'm going here. So my number five is music that I wouldn't necessarily check out today too much, but I liked at one I liked a lot at one time. Okay. And that's two Chris Potter albums, Chris Potter saxophonist, Lift and Follow the Red Line, both recorded at the Vanguard. It's stuff that Nick and I checked out a lot in college. It's really, really good playing, but it's to me these days, it's a little too like pristine and clean and like not like lick based or like tasty based but it's like a little too that you know there's not enough edge or something i i I don't exactly know what it is but yeah yeah i think the but those albums though were really like it like it like showed us like what like an improvised solo can do over the course of like a couple minutes Sure. You know what I mean? It showed it sh- like was it's it's almost like so over the top with it's like like the 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 way that the solos like tell a story. It's like so it just is so on the nose with how like oh okay here's a developing solo, here's what mm-hmm. it here's a textbook uh, idea of, of how I can develop my solo using space harmonic <laughs> complexities um, dynamics like all yeah. that stuff. It just it's just like something out of a textbook almost. And in in something like we we mentioned earlier, or I mentioned earlier, that most jazz tunes like play a melody and then have the solos over the same harmonic formula. Mm-hmm. In some of Chris Potter's tunes, that actually changes. Like pop tune number one, there's like a slow part, like a ballad sort of section, mm-hmm. and then there's like a more funky section, which don't follow the same sort of changes. So they're a little bit more composed and, um, yeah. And sure. yeah, like I said, I don't check them out too much today, but I would be lying if I didn't say that there was a point in time where I thought that shit was the fucking height of music. <laughs> like this, especially the solo on pop two, number one and train was really beautiful. Um, yeah. 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 So that's, that's my number five. Okay, cool. Um, my number five is, um, one I mentioned before called State of the Tenor by Joe Henderson. And for kind of the same reasons I was talking about before, it's like it was, I heard it when I was young. It was really impactful for me. It was like, oh, cool. I can play, ba- I can play like drum, saxophone, bass, and drums, and that's a combo. We, like, I don't, we don't need anything mm. else. And I think when I was in high school too, that was kind of fun because like I would play trio with Ron Dave, and it was, it was very like, it was just a lot of fun. So that album in particular was. Yeah, I remember. One time you sent me a link to that album and you said, this album is without piano and this is what I could sound like if you weren't around all the time. And I took that a little personally. (sighs) Oh, see, okay, so uh, uh, I apologize. I apologize for that. Thank you. No, you never said that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I feel like you spared me and never told me to listen to that album. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, yeah, because like you, you know, you know me. I thought it. You knew I thought it. You, you, you knew. <laughs> you, you thought I told you that because I, I, I thought did it. Think, yeah, yeah. You could read my mind. Oh, so you? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, oh wait. Okay. All right. I owe you, you real, did it. I owe you a real apology now. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so my number four is another album that was I don't listen to too much these days, but I loved when. Um, I first heard it, and this is one of the albums that I heard when I first started learning jazz as like a junior or senior in high school. And it's Joshua Redman, Spirit of the Moment, live at the Vanguard. Oh, um, yeah. And it's like a couple discs set, and I remember like being in a lesson with my teacher, Mr. Gleason, and him like teaching me um, like a chord substitution in My One and Only Love, and then him putting on he was like, okay, let's listen to some recordings of my one and only love and see what they do. And he put on this one from this Joshua Redman album live at the Vanguard and they did the substitution. He just taught me. And I remember thinking at the time, like, holy shit, my teacher is the smartest person in the fucking world. And like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And there's also a recording of, uh, so Josh Redman, listen, like, he can play. He's a motherfucker. Oh, fuck. Yeah, for sure. I have, like, similar qualms these days, the same with him that I have about Chris Potter, that it's, like, a little too produced and too nice and too neat. But there's no denying the fact that he can fucking play saxophone. And what's especially amazing about him is that before he decided to make... He, he, his father is Dewey Redman, a famous jazz saxophonist. Mm. But before he took over the family business, he fucking went to Harvard Law and got a degree in law and then he was like uh you know maybe i'll play saxophone and he's so good i've seen him i saw him play duo with brad meldow and that was one of the best concerts i've ever seen in my life that's amazing but so this album um there's that like my one and only love track but there's also um a recording of uh i think it's saint thomas by sonny rollins where Joshua Redman takes like an extended six minute introduction on saxophone. And normally like in jazz live jazz recordings, like when people take extended introductions, it's the pianist. But here Josh Redman takes this huge extended saxophone introduction. It's so fucking good. I I, I was listening to it all this week leading up to recording this episode and it's still awesome. Like everyone should listen to it. It really, it really is awesome. Yeah. His playing is ridiculous. Yeah. All right. All right. My number four is uh, the 1966 Live at the Vanguard uh, by John Coltrane. Yeah. And yeah, I remember getting this out of the hunting, uh, the South Huntington Public Library when I was in high school, and I was it just like blew my mind wide open. Um, is that the one with like a half hour? My favorite things. <laughs> yes. It's there's only like three tracks on it. It's so ridiculous, and it's each one is probably like thirty or more, thirty minutes or more. But it's it's just really like you know you hear you're hearing the band like you know you're hearing the the culturing quartet like you just yeah just expand and, and it's just crazy it's so crazy yeah. and it's just it, um, it's the kind of album that is like it's so much better that it's at the vanguard just because of what we were saying before it's that small intimate space and like the audience is just like is part of the performance in a way and that somehow energy is captured on the recording I yeah, think. it really is. I love when pe- things are recorded at the Vanguard. This happens especially in Thad Jones and Mel Lewis stuff, like where you can hear Thad like 
shouting and clapping yeah. and like telling the band what to do and it's like it's almost as if you're in the club with them yeah and like maybe you, you hear like somebody spill a drink or like get up and like yeah. move their chair and that's so cool that's I don't know. that's part of it I, I love that yeah it's so cool like i we've talked a little bit before about how that's missing in classical recordings where like it's just antiseptic and the recording studio and no talking no clapping but yeah like if I fucking in listening to Vanguard band and they're clapping on two and four, like while the band's playing, I'm like, or just two, Damn, that's oh, or just four. Yeah. Then it's like, that shit is, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Number three, I'm going, um, okay. I, I probably should have mentioned this before. Probably you're not going to get a lot of like world shattering top Vanguard records out of this discussion. <laughs> like, there's a well-known canon of awesome records being recorded at the vanguard so just so everyone knows my number three bill evans sunday at the vanguard just like bill evans one of the best jazz pianists ever at the vanguard one of the best recordings ever yeah that's pretty much all I have and to it's say like about n- it. nostalgia too because like you're a big bill evans fan it's like hearing that you're like hearing your like formative years as a musician when you're like in your 20s yeah That stuff's really good, and it's stuff that it took a long time to come around to. I don't know about you, but I harbored a lot of like, like weird biases against jazz for so long. Like, if I didn't like the song title, I would just not listen to that tune. But then, like, I listen to it now as a thirty-two-year-old man, and I'm like, I would curb stomp nineteen-year-old Max, no questions asked, you know, <laughs> for like skipping over a track called. What whatever you know yeah 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 all right um my number are we on number three number three number yeah my number three is live at the village vanguard um by the thad jones mellowest orchestra which i know we already Mm -hmm. talked about but i put it on my list because it's so great you got Um, some of the songs on it um are ah that's freedom (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. the second race Mm -hmm. brilliant two of the best charts ever and one we didn't mention before don't get sassy so, so good so good <laughs> so fucking good so yeah. that 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 album is of course great and that was i think released in 1966 like kind of one of the, one of the first like you know that was like the kind of the original lineup of the group with like all the guy uh, guys we had mentioned before yeah. so it's that's a classic for me for yeah. sure okay um my next is um no, so number two mm-hmm. is the vanguard jazz orchestra which is the living um uh, equivalent of the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra. They released an album called Monday at the at the is it called Monday at the Village Vanguard? Yeah. That's the one that um, starts with mean what you say. Oh my God. Yeah. And <laughs> oh my God, that's a great piano solo. And I took yes. lessons with that pianist. His oh. name's Michael Weiss. Oh. Yeah. And I fucking took lessons at his apartment in Brooklyn, and he put me on the guest list for the show, and I was like... Holy shit. Hey, Mom, is it okay if I like come home a little later? This dude put me on the guest list, and she was like, no, you gotta come home. So I went home. <laughs> but I took a lesson with him anyways. And um, Oh, man, that's so great. What? Yeah. <sighs> so you awesome. know, I think he's like... Some jazz dudes came through Crane at one point, and they were like... Oh, you took a lesson with Michael Weiss? Like, um, something about, they were like, what is he doing? And I was like, well, he plays for the Vanguard band. They were like, 
Yeah, well, you know, he can play for the Vanguard band because he's like an heir to an oil fortune. I was like, what? I'm like 19 years old. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, my guy. But it was an awesome piano lesson anyways. (laughs) Um, That's all I have to say about that. But really, the the reason I'm choosing this album is because there's a recording of St. Louis Blues, an old tune by W.C. Handy that Bob Brookmeyer arranged for the for the group and it goes in between these like weird slow blues and these really high tempo blues and some of the best like crunchiest big band voicings i've ever heard in my life like that's the that's the tune that does it for me yeah um there's also like kids are pretty people you mentioned that uh, that tune earlier that's on there the waltz you swing for me another thad jones tune little rascal on a rock is yeah. a like a, a fad rock tune. Yeah. But yeah, Monday Monday night at the Village Vanguard. That's great. All right. I'm going to go with um, my next one is um, A Night at the Vanguard by Sonny Rollins. Um, and this is another one that's just so saxophone. Classic. It's yeah, it's so classic. It's another one that's just saxophone, bass and and drums, but this one is different in and I'll I'll tell you why. It's different from State of the Tenor. Which for Joe Henderson <coughs> that was like a, a more of an ensemble thing and there's more like communication happening with the players. But this record, it's really like Sonny is kind of featured and it, it mm. almost functions more as the bass and drums are truly like accompaniment most of the times. Um, but it, it's, it's cool because I feel like it's Sonny has this unbelievable, like he's a, a master improviser and he has this really, really kind of unusual rhythmic feel and sense. Like if you listen to the, the really famous um, a version of Night in Tunisia on that record. It's like mm-hmm. sometimes you have, it's like you're having really trouble, like a lot of trouble, like finding like the time, but it's more just about like, like, like the way he phrases things. And it's just so, so really like raw and real. And like, not I, I listened to that polished. album today. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I didn't fucking even make note of when I was listening that it's only, sax bass and drums oh interesting it's not interesting i'm an idiot no i mean maybe but yeah but okay but like Sunday... what, i think the pianist is on the break the whole time taking dumps <laughs> i'm just saying that like sunny is probably like he's not really playing like super far out or anything he's probably playing stuff that's like like harmonically pretty like in you know, yeah, quote, unquote, yeah. but like just his phrasing and his, his approach to improvisation is so unique. That's what puts it into like a special category. It's not anything that he was doing harmonically. That was so complex. It's just like, he's like a real poet up there. Yeah. That's, yeah. it's just such a cool album. And it's it, really good. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's, that's one of my top for sure. Yeah. All right. And then, um, so lastly, I would say, um, we should also make a playlist with all these albums. Sure. Um, and um, I'm like with my first choice, I'm gonna cheat and choose two albums, and this is um, Brad Meldow, Art of the Trio, Volume Two and Four. Okay. I think Art of the Trio Two is like live at the Vanguard, and Art of the Trio Volume Four is back at the Vanguard or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they're just so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Brad Meldow is, and what what what's pretty interesting listening to them now, like. These days, Brad Meldow plays really like introspective music, like closer to Brahms than to bebop. But yeah, in, at in these albums, he's a young dude, and he's st- st- it's still it seems like he still is like trying to 
prove his point or something. Mm-hmm. And he's just a fucking shed fest. Like he plays, <laughs> he plays countdown by, which is a really hard tune to play by Coltrane that no one plays who plays countdown except for Coltrane. Nobody plays countdown and, and Meldow and like plays all the things you are in seven and in like a major instead of a flat major, just like really like cut your teeth. I'm a bad bitch what sort an, of stuff. What an idiot. He doesn't know shit. It, it's absurd. It's so good, but that stuff that stuff really holds up. Like, Meldau is on another plane of. You know, for our listeners out there, when we tell you that these guys don't know shit, it probably means that they know a lot. They know tons. They know a lot. They know tons of stuff. Okay, my last one is my number one absolute favorite of all time at wow. live at the Village Vanguard. Yeah, Albert Ayler. In Greenwich Village. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> because I'm a big Ayler head. I fucking love this guy. He's so out yeah, of his mind. Tell us a little about Albert Ayler. He's the he's one of the best. He's so good. He's so good. And he's just like... You know, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. I thought about choosing this one also, but I, I wasn't sure that it was actually recorded at the Vanguard. It was. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's like... It's so interesting. Like Albert Ayler, I mean, he's he's so crazy. Like he's got this really wild kind of tone concept or like tonal approach where it's almost like he's singing. And sometimes his songs can be so like sing songy, like they're they're they like are really melodic. But he plays with this really harsh sound and like this really wide vibrato that's like all over the place. And he's totally unhinged. And that's just like the kind of player that I like really like enjoy listening to and then yeah i'm just kind of like enjoy modeling my sound after like there's there's he so albert eiler is one of the like founding free jazz saxophonists but when you listen to the melodies that he wrote like and his compositions they're pretty bluesy and like nick just said a little bit sing-songy yeah like there's a two that's like um is that from is that from spiritual unity yeah it's yeah. like ghosts or something but it's yeah. like it sounds like a thing you would sing around a campfire but then yeah, as soon as exactly. the melody's over it's like <laughs> uh, there's one record there's one record where I don't know what it is, but they're they're playing like on Green Dolphin Street, and the band is just like they're just oh playing yeah <laughs> okay I know what you're talking about it's um so he was living in Scandinavia for a while, and so while he was doing this like fucked up free jazz shit, he went into the studio to record this album called My Name Is Albert Eiler, yeah. and the studio band is just like like straight ahead the whitest white Scandinavian people you could ever imagine. And they're just playing like, but ding, 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 ding. And on top of that, Albert I was like, <laughs> and it sounds so funny, but it's like almost a really approachable way to like get into free jazz. Oh, it totally is. It totally is because it's not, because he's he's it's like he's also really just he's really serious about it like that's the his approach and that that's what he was doing and that's that was yeah. his voice it's not there's no bullshit there's no artifice like when you hear it it's like it it's not like weird for weird's sake or anything like that like it sounds yeah. so sincere 
it's just like, damn, this is the music this dude wanted to play, and right, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, listen to that, everybody. <laughs> that was your number. That was your number one. It's my number one. All right, I, I gave my number one too. Okay, um, let's take a. Right, we might not have any other colors. I'm gonna. I I really gotta pee though. Dude, we gotta pee. Okay, thanks, Nick. Thanks to all our guests. Um, Thad Jones is the best there is. So great. So great. I've always wanted... Um, would you consider this show a quote-unquote platform? Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Because in that case, I've always wanted a platform <laughs> to, to talk about how much I love Thad Jones. Um, yeah, so um, thanks for listening. Um um if 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 you like the show consider going to patreon.com slash slash gustav baller i think and uh there's a three dollar subscription um <laughs> tier it's the lowest possible that's also yeah, that's if, the one you want that's the one you want yeah. because that's really the best bang for your buck <laughs> Um, and then, uh, Nick, I happen to notice you're wearing a, a pretty special shirt right now. That's right. Let me take a, I'm going to take a screen cop of this actually. Awesome. Yeah. What does that shirt say? It says the Gustav Baller show. And I thought I, where can, I thought I ordered the Miller life or the Miller shirt, you know, oh fuck, maybe I'll do it now. What could you remind me? What was the website again? I'll do it now. Yeah. I, I will remind you right now. Okay. It's, um, Zazzle.com. Z-A-Z-Z-L-E dot com slash Gustav Baller shop. Oh my God, it's in my saved history. Yeah, because at the end of the last episode, when we were drunk, we both ordered shirts. Oh yeah. I thought you ordered both of them too. That's what I thought. And only one of them came. So let me just, I'll tell you what, every time after a show, okay, closing remarks <laughs> of every show, I'm going to order a <laughs> shirt every time. <laughs> yeah, so they're pretty high quality shirts. Pretty and, good. Um, you know what I really want to do is just actually have them screen printed mm-hmm. by a comp- by like a screen printer in the Twin Cities. Oh yeah. Because frankly like the shirt is $18 on Zazzle and I make a dollar and 80 cents every time a shirt is sold. <laughs> it's pretty bad. That's why I need um 900 of you to to buy a shirt so I can pay rent. Um, yeah in november yeah so if we could get our our numbers up from about 30 listeners per episode to 900 um that would be awesome (laughs) tell your friends tell your friends i you know and i just want to say max um i washed this shirt i put it through the the wash and then the dryer and the dryer too you know the dryer you know the dryer yeah um i know what a dryer is and i I tell you it held up really well it didn't it 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 doesn't look um like cracked or anything it looks it still looks pretty good no they did a good job and so they might not be paying you enough but is it comfy yeah i give it an 8 out of 10 for comfiness it's it's not like super soft you know i'm not gonna 
I'm, you know, it's not like my best shirt, but yeah. it, but it's a good shirt. It's definitely a good shirt because also people ask, has anyone asked you about it? I mean, I've only, to be fair, I've only worn it. Really, I just got it last week in the mail, so I've only worn it <laughs> twice. Um, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, let me think. I was gonna. I was just gonna what say percentage else. of shirts do you own that that you wear? I'm gonna answer that question with a question. Yeah. Do you remember? No. Wait a minute. I fifty percent for sure because I have so many shirts that I have in my in my like closet that are old, but for some reason I don't want to get rid of them. Yeah, sure. But I don't really wear them. They just. So what was your question? I don't know. Oh, do you? Okay. Do you have t-shirts that you you like? Is there like a top rotation for you? Like oh, I, definitely. I'm, like I'm gonna wear this t-shirt on Friday. Is it you have like a Friday t-shirt? Yep. Do you have a Saturday t-shirt? Well, it's not Friday. Actually, it mostly has to do with what pants I'm wearing. Okay. <laughs> so do you choose the pants first or the t-shirt? Do you like? Okay, I'm gonna wear these pants. pants. So you choose the. Your- it's simpler. Yeah. Because the pants are the last thing I took off, so they're the first thing I put on. Okay. And then when I choose the new shirt out of the drawer, then it's like, okay, what's going with these pants? I see. I see. So we only have T-shirts for the show. We should have other merch too. Like, I wonder if we could get like, um, like pins or or um, yeah, stickers. Get some stickers. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I think the beauty of a thing like Zazzle is it's like, oh, you don't want a shirt? Okay, well we can just make the same design on a on anything you want. A pillow. You want to go to bed with me and Nick every night <laughs> talking about bullshit? You can get it for twenty ninety nine. All right. I don't know. All right. Yeah. And and one and one of these days we're gonna do a live show. Yeah, when you come out to the Twin Cities for my for my recital. When when can I come to the Twin Cities? Should I book my tickets right now? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, come out tomorrow. Should I book out the Should I book the tickets on the show? <laughs> yeah, when we know when you can come when when we know so, the recital. So next show. Next time we have a show, yeah. I'm going to book the tickets on the show. That's a good goal. All right. For me, I have to <laughs> schedule the recital too. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, do you have anything to plug, I, Max? Um, yeah, I have a recital um November 6th. Oh, shit. The the program is um the the main thing is Goldberg Variations by Bach. I'm also playing a piece I wrote and a piece by Galina Usvolskaya. And if I get my act together, Nick will be making an electronic piece that is playing in the hall before and after my performance. Sick. So that's that's my recital. Um, you can ask me for the streaming link or whatever, or you can just, well, no one cares. And then uh, I, I got a cool um, encore I'm excited to play, like a little ballad. I love playing ballads as an encore, you know? Yeah classy keep it classy if you fucking don't play a ballad as an encore if you play some fucking fast shit as an encore you're a bitch you a bitch <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i know i know you gotta put gotta keep it a ballad you gotta play a ballad so it's by uh this like old german cabaret like film composer it's a really nice little tune that's really nice um i guess that's all i have to pug for now yeah what about you <sighs> 
nothing. I, I got nothing, really. Yeah. I'm boring, Max. I'm boring. No. I'm a boring guy. No. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Um, I, I am making TikToks. So if you want to check out my TikTok, you can follow me at <laughs> NickTok. <laughs> and they're really good. They're pretty. There was a past episode where I said some regrettable things about Nick and TikTok, but it was it was in good fun. I, but listening back to it, I think, damn Max, you're a fucking asshole. Um, but I I want to make clear, Nick's TikToks are. I well, frankly, I don't know what TikTok is, but <laughs> judging by Nick's, they're great. It's a, it's an awesome app. Yeah, I definitely don't use it right. I'm sure I don't use it right. Um, but do, do you have over or under ten thousand followers? I think I have. Surprisingly, I have like a hundred and fifty followers, and it's all like it's hey. it's like people I don't know. So I don't know why it's. I mean, there, maybe there's a few people like Sarah follows me and like some other people, but like most people, I don't know. Who, I don't know who they are. They probably are. Well, they're probably learning how to bake bread. They're <laughs> maybe they're probably like bots, though. They're probably not even real people. But I don't know. I'm just fucking around. <laughs> All right. Well. Okay. Thanks, everybody. This has been Thad Jones Thanks. and Village Vanguard. Okay, Nick. Love you. Thanks for coming on. I love you, Max. As always, the best co-host a man could ask for. The best. Catch you on the flip. See ya.